Welcome to the Evan Roberts Podcast Instant Reaction Backlash 2020. So we're all schmucks. We were all wrong. The WWE gets the last laugh. We all witnessed, well, if you watched Backlash, and if you did, I assume, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, I assume you watched Backlash. Randy Orton Edge was the greatest match of all time. They were right. We all mocked it. We all thought it was ridiculous. We all thought that this ploy over the last three weeks of marketing this pay-per-view, this big event, I should say, and this main event as the greatest wrestling match of all time, we all thought it was lunacy. They were right. Nah, I mean, that that's going too far, but I have to admit, and I think most of us would admit, that was a really, really, really good match. And they had to pull out all the stops because... I think one of the reasons why there was heavy skepticism, at least on my end, that Randy Orton Edge could be, quote, the greatest wrestling match of all time, or even in that discussion, was the lack of a crowd. I mean, crowds add to matches. You know, when you think back to The Rock against Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania, if you put it on mute and you just watch the wrestling, is it that good? No. Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania. There's a lot of those matches that many of us look at as some of the great matches of all time when it really wasn't. It was the crowd that added to it. We don't have a crowd here. So what they tried, and we should start here, is they did try for the very first time, unless I'm missing something, pumping in crowd noise. Now, they did that in conjunction with the fact that over the last month or so, they've had... I forget what Vince McMahon wants his announcers to refer to them as. The NXT workout people. <laughs> no, there, there's a phrase and I already forgot what it is. The, the guys and gals that are trying to become pro wrestlers. And it's been great that they did that. Since they added that about a month ago, having you know, 30, 40 people socially distanced, but getting into the match and just giving it a little bit of sound. That, that has certainly helped. And AEW's been doing something like that for a while. So you have that, but then they mix in the fake crowd noise. And the truth is, sometimes you wonder, well, is that the fake crowd noise? Or is that the people that are in the performance center getting into the match? But they added the fake crowd noise. I, I, I don't think there's any question. But I'm not saying it was added in a way that made it overtly obvious. You almost had to look for it, you know? They obviously start the match, which I thought was kind of cool with the MSG microphone coming down and then Howard Finkel announcing both guys, the legendary voice. Unfortunately, Howard passed away a couple of weeks ago. They add Charles Robinson, Little Nate, with that old school referee look. They add the camera angle coming from the top. Uh, all that stuff was cool. I really don't have a problem with it. And I wasn't sure how I was going to or what I was going to think about fake crowd noise. And we've talked a lot about that on the fan in regards to the NHL or the NBA in baseball, I think in this match, and I'm not sure I would do it for every match, but in this match, it added a little bit to it. Now, this wouldn't have worked a month and a half ago. If they added fake crowd noise at, let's say, WrestleMania, it wouldn't have worked. I think the reason why it's not overt is the fact that you've already got people there. But now let me get on something about the people that are there. Okay, they're all acting, they're doing a great job, they're chanting, you know, let's go Edge, let's go Orton. They're booing when they're supposed to, they're cheering when they're supposed to. It's really a Vince McMahon dream. You know, Vince McMahon back in the early 90s 
and late 80s could control the audience. He could basically get the audience to do whatever the hell he wanted. If he wanted you to cheer for Shawn Michaels, he was going to get you to cheer for Shawn Michaels. He was the wizard. But in this decade, and really the last two decades, hasn't been able to do that. If the crowd wants to boo John Cena, damn it, they're going to boo John Cena. If the crowd wants to cheer somebody, they're going to cheer somebody. And so the crowds are no longer eating out of the hand of Vince McMahon. But (laughs) if you are being paid to be there, you are most definitely eating out of the hand of Vince McMahon. So Vince gets to tell the crowd to do whatever the hell he wants, unlike in the real world. But here's my one critique of the people that are there. It's actually not a critique of them. It's a critique of the WWE. You can't give me crowd shots like zooming in on somebody with their mouth open because they can't believe Randy Orton kicked out. They're not a real fit. We all know they're paid employees. It doesn't work the same. You know, over the last 10 years, ever since Ms. Girl, remember the girl that was so disgusted that Ms. won the championship? She had, you know, that, that look of disgust. Ever since then, the WWE is in love with the crowd shot. They're like Fox during a baseball playoff game. They love zooming in on somebody in the crowd. And that's okay. It's a little obnoxious, but oh, it's okay. But you can't do it with paid employees. And they did it a lot during the Randy Orton Ed match. But let me get back to the positives. It was a wildly entertaining match. It was a good wrestling match. They gave you a ton of false finishes. They gave you finishing moves from every superstar you could want, which I thought was actually kind of cool. The pedigree by Randy Orton, the rock bottom by Edge, the attempted sharpshooter by Edge, the Olympic slam. And I think the Olympic slam... Uh, by Randy Orton was the first I noticed of kind of borrowing a finishing move. And we've seen the the strategy of borrowing a finishing move, but usually, you know, let's say it's Rock Austin, it's Rock doing the stunner or Austin doing the rock bottom. It's using the finishing move of your opponent on them, even though it never works. I mean, has anyone ever won a match using the finishing move of their opponent? And, And there was no shot. There was never a moment where you thought, oh, Edge is going to win now because he used the rock bottom. That was never happening. But it was cool. It was a cool wrinkle. I liked it. I thought it was awesome. Now, what depressed me in the middle of the match is that I, I try to avoid reading rumors and you know, really being spoiled if any spoilers come out. And I know this match was taped a week ago, but the WWE's done a great job, and we saw that during WrestleMania where they don't let stuff leak out. But nevertheless... I'm not sitting there on WWE we- or you know wrestling websites trying to find out what's going to happen. I don't like looking at the odds. Sometimes I do occasionally. I don't do it on purpose, though. But a buddy of mine texted me about the injury in the match. And I said, injury? Well, I don't know anybody got hurt. Is it real? And I did Google it. I Googled it. And I did see that Edge has a reportedly has a torn tricep. So it was interesting to see... A, could you find it in the match? And then B, is the WWE going to attempt to write Edge off script-wise? And they really did. Now, they didn't mention a torn tricep, and they could have considering this whole thing was recorded a week ago, so you could easily edit that in if you want to. They kind of went with the neck issue, which, which makes sense. It's the injury Edge is coming back from. And they left 
this match after Randy got the victory with the question of, is this over for Edge? So if Edge wants to continue wrestling, and I hope he does, because I think the two matches he's had, I think have both have been very good. I was a fan of their match at WrestleMania. I know that was more controversial. There were a lot of people that didn't love it, thought it was too long. I liked it. I thought it was really good. I thought this match was really, really good. And if Edge wants to keep wrestling, hey, as a fan, I'm, I'm enjoying it. So far, he's two for two. It does lead in if he comes back, even if it's six months from now, which, which may benefit things. Hopefully, six months from now, there'll be crowds, real crowds in arenas. Hopefully, our country is safe enough for that. But it would be the perfect rubber match redemption story if that's where they're going. I don't think the injuries will work, by the way. I don't think they kind of spread a rumor of, oh, he's got a torn, torn tricep. I'm sure he does. But... If he wants to come back, look, storyline-wise, it makes a lot of sense. And this was a great match. And during the match, whenever they were having close finishes, I was asking myself, all right, who who do I think is going to win this match? And I did lean towards Randy Orton for the obvious that are they going to have Edge beat him twice in a row? Not not that I was thinking they're, they're building towards the rubber match, just, you know, Randy Orton's been there for a long time. And as much as he may bore me, <laughs> and as much as, Most of us have been happy that Edge came back. I just never thought they were going to give Edge two straight victories over him. And so I was expecting Randy to win the match. I wasn't sure when. I thought when he RKO'd Edge off the top rope, Edge jumped off the top rope, Randy caught him. I thought he would win that way. I figured he would win with an RKO. Instead, they gave you the, the idea that maybe it was cheap because of the low blow into the punt. I don't have a problem with the end. I think they wanted to keep Edge relatively strong and having that question of, hey, was this completely clean? Probably works. But it was a very, very good match. I got to hand it to him. Now, do I think, jokes aside, do I think it's the greatest wrestling match of all time? No. I I think you are, first of all, when you set the bar high, that's never going to work. But in general, as a society right now, wrestling fan society, I mean, It is very difficult to have a match in 2020 or 2019 or 2021 or 2017 that will ever match in our mindset a match that we loved as a kid or as a teenager. It's impossible. Randy Savage against Ricky Steamboat, to many people listening, will never be matched. Even if a match is technically better, it's never going to be matched. I remember a couple of years ago on NXT. That's right. I'm referencing NXT. I actually watched Nakamura Sami Zayn. I think that was the match. Nakamura Sami Zayn. One of the rare NXT matches I've watched. And I remember how amazing that match was thinking to myself, you know, really, pound for pound, how could it get much better than this? And there's a lot of times you watch a match. You say, can it get any better? But I think there are matches for sometimes when we were kids or sometimes when we were teenagers that we're just going to hold in our heart that no matter what we see, nothing's ever going to eclipse that. And so there was nothing they could do that would really make a lot of people say, you see, that's the greatest wrestling match ever. And I still question the tagline, and I still question the strategy of building this whole event around that, but I admit it was a very good match. I thought they pulled out all the stops. Does it diminish the titles? the WWE title and the universal title that they don't main event? I think it does. But you know what I think diminished these title matches? First of all, let's start with the universal title match, the Strowman versus Miz and Morrison. 
what minimizes it is that is the fact that they thought, hey, we got this universal champion in Braun Strowman. We, we've basically forgotten about the whole feud with Bray Wyatt. We forgot about that. This guy never really should have been champion to begin with. It was supposed to be Roman Reigns. Let's stick him in a mid-card, two-on-one kind of feud. And look, Miz and Morrison can be very entertaining. The music video to start the match actually did make me laugh. But this doesn't do Braun Strowman any favors. Even with him winning a two-on-one match, it doesn't do him any favors. It doesn't do him any favors because it's reeks of a mid-card match. You know, sometimes, and I have in the past with these instant reactions, bitched and moaned and complained about not having the title match as the main event. And they had a long run for a while where the WWE title was never the main event. Very long time. They would always go with something else. Even at Backlash two years ago, the main event was Samoa Joe against Roman Reigns. But this feud and this champion is being treated like someone that should never be in the main event. Braun Strowman in a two-on-one match in which you got these two clowns talking about, we're going to share the Universal Championship, and then it morphs into, oh, wait a second, actually, the person who gets the pinfall gets the title, so they create this potential issue between Miz and Morrison, which they never go after, and Strowman just basically beats the crap out of him. So sure, he looks strong, but the whole thing was, a, it was just, it was, it was a nothing. It was, it was an intercontinental title feud. That's what it was. And this is supposed to be a big championship. This is supposed to be the universal title. And this is a guy who we all know wasn't even supposed to win the championship to begin with. So I don't have a problem with that not main eventing. There's nothing about that that makes it a main event. I mean, think about the buildup to that feud. The buildup to that feud is that Miz and Morrison are pulling pranks. They're dropping slime. They're wrecking Strowman's car. What? That's the that's the game plan to build up to this feud. If you just had this serious thing with Bray Wyatt, now it's, hey, let's let's pull some pranks on Braun Strowman. That'll really get him pissed off. What a waste of time that was. I'll go through some of these matches. The uh, the women's tag team match, blah, whatever. Sasha and Bailey retain. Aren't we all kind of just waiting for them to split? They've been teasing it for a while. They tease it again tonight. Uh, they even mentioned, I thought this was interesting. You always got to listen to the broadcasters, the announcers. They'll tell you where they're going next. But they tease the fact that Sasha Banks has won every title in the WWE, but the SmackDown women's title, which coincidentally is held by Bayley. So, you know, right now it's about waiting for them to split. I, I think they want... And I'm not sure Vince is thinking this anymore. The writers are thinking this anymore. But I assume with a big angle like that, they're waiting for there to be live crowds. But I don't know when there's going to be live crowds. I don't even know if they can game plan that anymore. I mean, does anybody think there's going to be a live crowd at SummerSlam? I'm not sure. Seamus Jeff Hardy. <laughs> I mean, there's going to be a lot in this podcast of just crapping on WWE writers because the writing over the last month has been Dog, you know what? I mentioned the Miz and Morrison Let's Pull Pranks. How about this idea? Let's mock, essentially, Jeff Hardy's past issues with alcohol. Let's have Seamus frame Jeff Hardy. This is a brilliant idea. We're going to have Seamus frame Jeff Hardy into a DUI. So not only do you have a tasteless storyline, you've got a stupid storyline. It's dumb. It's not, there's nothing appealing about it. 
And then you've got two aging guys who, let's face it, let's all be honest, right now on June 14th, June 15th, whenever you're listening, Sheamus and Jeff Hardy will never match their peak in the WWE ever again. You know, Sheamus is a former champion. Jeff Hardy's a former champion. You know, when he was chasing Triple H back in, what were they feeling, like 08, 09, kind of in that range? Jeff Hardy was as over as anybody. He was a star. That was a decade ago. So these are two guys who are past their prime, who will never even come close to the success that they had in their pinnacle, and they're just having a wrestling match. I mean, it's just, it's not going anywhere. You're not, no one's being built up. Uh, and it's a stupid storyline. So when you kind of add those two things together, even though the match wasn't half bad, I'll admit it wasn't that bad, and Sheamus got the victory. I think those two things hurt it too much. I thought I was watching a pay-per-view from 1987 because Nia Jax and Asuka had a double countout. Oh, the old-fashioned double countout. You don't see that very often anymore. I mean, what else is there to say about it? Charlotte Flair is going to enter that feud. She's probably going to win the Raw Women's title at some point, and that's it. (laughs) That's what it comes down to. I do have to admit the WWE title match, which also never received enough hype to be the main event. That's why the main event was clearly going to be Edge Randy Orton, and I have no problem with it. McIntyre Lashley was actually good. I don't know if I'm in the minority on that. I actually liked that match. I thought it was really good. I even like the fact that Bobby Lashley's finishing move is now the full Nelson. It reminds me of, remember back in the early 90s, the British Bulldog and the Warlord had a feud together. And it was the Battle of the Power Slam versus the Battle of the Full Nelson. And I even remember as a kid saying, boy, those two finishing moves are weak. Really? The Power Slam and the Full Nelson? Well, Braun Strowman's finishing move is the Power Slam. And now Bobby Lashley is the Full Nelson. And I don't know why all these years later, I now think the Full Nelson's kind of cool. But it's also the same thing as the Master Lock. Remember him? Chris Masters? Uh, but I, I thought this match was, was pretty good. Surprisingly good. The problem is, and I say this all the time, you could have a really good wrestling match, but you can ruin it with the ending. So we get Lana coming out. And I have nothing against Lana, but if Lana's going to come out, what what was she doing? She gets on the apron. I have no idea why. Is she pulling a Deborah? Remember Deborah? She used to come out and distract the opponent. And that would help Jeff Jarrett win a match. And you remember how she would distract opponents? I think you do. Jerry Lawler would scream about it all the time. But she wasn't coming out to distract. She literally just stood on the apron. No idea why. Lashley says, oh, hey, look, Lana's here. McIntyre headbunts him (laughs) into Lana. And then there's the Claymore kick for the win. I mean, could we have had a better ending? Uh, But I get what they're thinking. They're building up Bobby Lashley. MVP is kind of morphing into this manager's role. And they didn't want Lashley to lose in an ultra-clean way. Which I get, but Lana? You know, well, what are we doing here with Lana and Bobby Lashley? Are they going to get divorced? Are we supposed to care about that? Are they even married? I don't remember. I think they were supposed to get married. All right. Let me get to this crap. The Street Profits and the Viking Raiders. So... In the time I've watched Raw and SmackDown over the last month, and, you know, I watch it, I I fast forward quickly, I stop occasionally to see what's going on. I really enjoyed the Daniel Bryan, AJ Styles, IC title match. That was really cool. Probably should have been on this this event, but whatever. 
I noticed the Prophets and the Raiders skits that they were doing. And I thought they were okay. You know, I got to tell you, for all the other bad writing we've seen, I thought their skits, their bowling competitions, their basketball competitions, the archery competitions, I was like, okay, this is, this is something different. It was weird that the Viking Raiders were becoming so normal. I thought they were just these crazy guys who were Viking Raiders, but okay. Then they turn it into God knows what. What was that? I guess now the WWE feels they need one cinematic match per event. Spare me. I still have no idea what was happening. These other guys show up. Now they're friends. Uh, One of the Viking Raiders gets a bone. One of the Viking Raiders is told how handsome he is. The other Viking Raider is said, ah, you're not so much. The Street Profits are fine. I have no problem with them. They're entertaining. But now they're teaming up against somebody, and then they end up in a garbage dump. I need those 12 minutes of my life back. What was that? No idea. Stop it. You know, some of these cinematic matches have been okay. But I, this, I don't even know if this was a cinematic match. What the hell was this? Was it a match? Just have them have a tag team title match. That was the point of this. Wasn't the point of all that stuff they were doing for the last month that they were competing with each other and now they were going to have a tag team match? Instead, I don't know what that was. I don't. And I guess the, the cinematic stuff's always going to be hit or miss. I love the Bray Wyatt John Cena thing. I hated the Undertaker thing. Uh, the Money in the Bank thing was sort of creative, if you want to call that cinematic. And it was. It was a mix of cinematic. But it also featured some semblance of a wrestling match. This didn't This didn't have any semblance of anything. I don't know what was going on. And it does lead to that question I just threw out there. AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan had this outstanding matchup on SmackDown. Didn't help with the TV ratings, but nevertheless, they had an outstanding matchup on SmackDown. Why wouldn't you have that on Backlash? I guess the the answer is what I alluded to, that they're trying to up the ratings for SmackDown and thought, hey, maybe having these two stars, two big stars, two former champions, have this really good wrestling match will help out. What I'm thinking about with the ratings being down for pro wrestling is twofold. I think, A, the writing hasn't been good. I think that's obvious. I don't think the overall writing has been good. I don't think the overall storylines have been good. I mean, really, has there been a good storyline over the last two months coming out of WrestleMania? Here's the other thing. And I could be wrong about this, just spitballing, just speculating. I think that coming out of Mania and the weeks before Mania, with no crowds, with the silence that we saw, I think was so bad to a lot of casual fans, it completely turned them off. And I wonder if those same people were watching now and seeing the fact that there is crowd noise, it's different, but there is crowd noise, if that would help. You know, we talk about this with the sports and speculating what football would be like without fans, what baseball would be like without fans, and how each sport would be different without fans. We saw golf this week, and I actually watched a lot of it, the Charles Schwab Challenge, and I don't think it's impacted that much at all with there not being any fans. I think baseball, for the most part, may not be impacted that all without fans, but basketball may be a lot, football may be a lot. Wrestling has been affected. Wrestling is a, it's a show, it's entertainment, and to not have a crowd has hurt them. I give them a lot of credit. I really think that the 30 people there, or whatever that number is, does make a difference. I mean, I'll make fun of it, how contrived it is, and how Vince can tell them what to do, 
but that sound helps. But I wonder if that's contributed to the TV ratings being down. That when WrestleMania was occurring before and after, there was silence. You know, you come out and you have a promo, there's zero reaction. You can hear a pin drop. Now, there's at least something going on. But but here is the other bottom line. And I say this as a wrestling fan that, you know, really since the beginning, I never stop watching. I'll skim. I'll fast forward a lot more. But I'm still there. I'm always going to be there, especially doing these instant reaction podcasts. It almost motivates me to watch at least the big event. They're just not good right now. You know, it's not a very good product right now. And I look past the crowds and say, even if there were crowds, this is not a good product right now. The storylines are not that appealing right now. There just isn't a lot to sink your teeth in. I'm not in love with Drew McIntyre, and I'm not in love with Braun Strowman, and that's just a personal opinion. You may disagree, but those are the champs. I'm a bigger fan of AJ Styles. I'm a bigger fan of Daniel Bryan. The more I look back on it, I'm a fan of Kofi Kingston. I look back at his run from a year ago. I'd rather see him as champion than I would Drew McIntyre or Braun Strowman. So... I'm not sure what the long-term plan is. I don't know if they have a long-term plan. I don't know if they're looking at it week by week. But the writing just needs to get better. You, you can't have the Jeff Hardy DUI garbage. You can't have let's pull pranks on Braun Strowman. And you can't use this as an excuse. Well, we don't have crowds. No, it's crap writing. Now, they got another big event coming up, Extreme Rules. Hopefully, it'll get better. Overall, though, I can't say the event was bad because I thought the main event was pretty good. The main event was very entertaining. I just hope Edge will be okay, and we'll see where they go from here. Uh, This is a backlash instant reaction here on the Evan Roberts Podcast. Check out Joe and I Monday through Friday, 2 o'clock on WFN and Radio.com. Goodbye.